0: Today, we are continuing uh, not only the hero series, but the there was so much, uh, the, my research partners, we have a volunteer team of researchers that helped me, and there was so much good materials that we are going to continue the story of David. We're going to unpack a very unknown part of David's life. It's a story that's kind of tucked and hidden in between these large epic events like Goliath, and so this is a meeting of a lady named Abigail. I think you're going to like it. So everybody's say this after me. I thank you, Father, thank you, Father that your, word, your has word has the power, has the power to change my, life. change my life. Today I give heed to it. I, heed to I allow it to go into my ears into and, my then into my mind, and then into my mind and then into my spirit. Into my spirit. I am a hearer, of the, a hearer of, the a of the word and a doer of the word, and I will never be the same, be the same after, today. after today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So our theme verse for this series that we've been doing is Hebrews 12.1. And it says, therefore, uh, and th- this whole verse here actually refers to the previous chapter, which is a listing of all the heroes of the faith. And so it says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and the idea there is that all of those heroes of faith, and also maybe some of our loved ones as well, are looking down on us, cheering us on. It's acknowledging as well that this life can be hard. And so what we're doing is we are going back and we're looking at some of the heroes in the Bible. And we're just asking the question, since they're watching us, since they can, you know, could they come down out of the stands and give us any advice? If they would give us advice, what would it be? And so through our imaginations and the scriptures, we're asking ourselves, what could they teach us? Now, David's life is full of challenges, and, and greatness as well. And it's packed full of everything that makes a great and epic story. But one of the things that he had to constantly do was make the right decisions. Because he was always challenged with different things that were going on. And so last week we talked about that he was born a shepherd boy. He was anointed to be king of Israel, and yet nothing happened for years and years and years. And so now David is challenged with Goliath. And so last week we talked about David and Goliath and his ability to see what nobody else could see. And so he knew even though he was to be king um, that—and even after he was king— He understood that he did not sit on the throne of his own life. That he constantly honored the word of God and the law of God. And it gave him this amazing perspective that his hope was in God all the time. Whether it was the high times or the low times. And it created this incredible clarity for him and stability for him. And so you can watch that. That was last week. But even in those situations, sometimes there are areas in our lives or things that happen to us that it is imperative that we make the right decisions. But how do we make the right decisions? Because I know there's times in my lives where, in my life, where I've been challenged with large decisions, and so sometimes decisions come at you with emotions. Attached to them, maybe somebody has hurt us, or there's a situation that's not fair, and so there might be a situation where you might want to get even, or make decisions out of an emotional cloud, or um, and so in hindsight, sometimes those are the wrong decisions. I know what it's like to look back in hindsight and realize I made that decision out of emotion, I made it out of anger, or sometimes even out of resentment or even revenge. Sometimes. And David today presents us with a solution to that question. How do we make the right decisions when faced with decisions that can be unfair or even hurtful from other people? And so I like to start with the golden rule, and then we'll move on to what David has to teach us about it and how he was able to make the right decision. The golden rule is... Um, Everybody's familiar with the golden rule. The golden rule goes like this. Do unto others as you would have others. Very good. And so we all kind of know that. In fact, some of us, we grew up with that. We didn't realize that that was a Bible thing, but yeah, it is. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. And so the golden rule is great. And the golden rule is great until you're mistreated by other people. And once you're mistreated by others, or I'm mistreated by others, we want to change the golden rule into a different rule. And it would go like this do unto others as they have done unto you. Right? So, like in the moment when people have mistreated you or mistreated somebody that you love, but specifically when they've mistreated you, it actually feels right to treat them in like kind. It actually feels natural. Just stare at me, don't shake your head. But it seems like it's the right thing to do. It's the just thing to do when you've been mistreated to to treat other people like they've treated you. And then there's this very complicated thing that's almost impossible to see in the mirror. But if this is you, I promise you that somebody else can see it. And that is when you've been mistreated by somebody that you can't mistreat, and so you mistreat somebody else. Or you've been mistreated in an environment, and you can't get back at that environment. And so you find somebody else or another environment where you can kind of get all powered up and mistreat people in a different environment. So your anger or what's going on inside of you because of your mistreatment gets telegraphed, not back to the people or the environment where you've been mistreated, but you take it somewhere else and you mistreat other people. And they look at you like, why are you treating me this way? Because the truth is when we feel powerless in a, in a relationship or an environment, we oftentimes compensate in another, right? See, I'm going to take it out on you because I can't take it out on him or take it out on her or I can't take it out on them. And so then we have this really weird dynamic where we do unto others as someone else has done unto you. And then things get so complicated that you can't ever get everything back into the box. Now, there's a problem with this whole approach to life, and you're very smart, so you understand this, and you probably know where we're going with this. But the problem with getting back at people or paying people back in like kind, or to use the vernacular that we usually use, the problem with getting even is that it makes you even with somebody that you don't even like. So why would you like to be even with somebody that you think you're better than? Because when you get even, you're acting like the person that you don't even like. So today's story of David. We pick up David in his fugitive years, and he's going to talk with us about this. It's about 15 years after he killed Goliath, and so he's about 30 years old now. And in a nutshell, what happened was, after Goliath, he became so popular, so well-known, that he made King Saul jealous. And so King Saul began to try to kill him, to seek his life. And so he goes on the run, and in that process, because he was so powerful, and so charismatic, and he was an amazing leader, he gathered to him from all around, he ended up with this band of um, misfits, rebels, and uh, and so he formed into an army to try to stay alive. And so surrounded by his men, living off the land, trying to stay out of trouble, trying to stay away from the Philistines, their enemies, but then also at the same time, not feeling welcomed in his own country with King Saul, he tries to survive. And this is where the story begins. So let's look at 1 Samuel chapter 25. It says, Now a certain man in Man." who had property there at Carmel was a very wealthy and he had a thousand goats and 3,000 sheep which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was Nabal and his wife's name was Abigail. She was an intelligent and beautiful woman but her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. And so verse four, it says, while David was in the wilderness, he heard that Nabal was shearing his sheep. And so he sent 10 young men and said to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. So he says, go to him and say long life to you, good health to you and to your household and good health to all that is yours. And now I hear it is sheep shearing time. And so David would know that. But when your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time that they were in Carmel nothing of theirs was missing. So essentially what David is saying here through these messengers is that, listen, Nabal, if you have a prophet, part of the reason is because the protection that our men provide throughout the year. Because our men are in the wilderness wilderness where your sheep were and your shepherds were. And at any point, robbers could have stolen sheep from you. You had no protection. But we were there, and so consequently, there is a sense that we kind of protected your sheep and your shepherd, and we were good to you. And so he goes on to verse in verse 8, and he says, in verse 8, oh, wait a minute, there it is. Ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, uh, be favorable toward my men, since we come at a festival time. And then he makes the ask. He says, please give your servants and your son David whatever you find for them. In other words, since we were good to you, would you be good to us? "'Since we were kind to you, would you be kind to us as well?' And so when David's men, in uh, verse 9, when David's men arrived, they gave Nabal this message in David's name, and then they waited. And so Nabal answered David's men and said, "'Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? "'Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days.' In other words, I, I I know who we're talking about. I know who sent you. This is David, and I didn't ask for his help, and I didn't ask for his protection, and I don't owe him anything, and I don't owe you anything at all. And so David's men turned around and went back, and when they arrived, they reported every word. At which point, the soundtrack to this movie would change just a little bit to an ominous tone. And it says, David says to his men, strap on your sword. And they did. And David strapped on his sword as well. And so then, um, one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, that was Nabal's servant, told Abigail, David sent his messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings, but he hurled insults at him. And so then in verse 17, it says, now uh, this is the servant to Abigail. He says, now think it over and see what we can do because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household, of which that's me. He is such a wicked man that no one can talk with him. And then in verse 18, the text tells us that Abigail acted quickly. Smart woman. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, and five measures of, lo- of roasted grain, which is like, that's about 60 pounds of grain, and 100 cakes of raisins, 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them onto donkeys and, with her servants. And then she told her servants, go ahead, I will follow you. But she did not tell her husband, Nabal. Smart woman. So as she she goes to ride her donkey into this mountain ravine, she sees all these men, and they're all armored up, and they are ready to go. And they're headed toward her village where all of this is going to take place. And so when she got there, she met them. And so in verse 23, it says, When Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey and she bowed down before David with her face to the ground. So this is very strange because she is the wife of a very wealthy man and David is on the run. And she bows down to David and this totally catches him off guard. And so what she begins to do is she begins to treat him as if he is already the man that she hopes he will be. And there's a lesson in that. And I think the first thing that we pick up out of this that David learns, is, and he'll use this later on, is that you treat people like who you want them to be, not who they are. That's worth the whole message right there. And this is what Jesus does to us. See, he has a vision for our lives. He sees us in a certain way. Now, ladies, take note of this. This works on us men. Even when we know you're doing it, it still works. Seriously. It's like, you know, I'll bet you that you could take that trash can out to the street with one arm. It's Like, I know what you're doing, but, you know, it's like, yeah, I can do that. You want to watch? I can do it. I'll flex while I'm doing it. (laughs) Abigail's so smart. She does this, and it's so powerful. And listen, I'm not talking about manipulation. Uh, This is just a dynamic that she's using. She begins to speak to David's potential. She begins to look past what he's about to do and speaks to his future. And it is so, so powerful. And we get all of this detail here. So listen, here's what happened. Verse 24, she fell at his feet and she said, pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. She is not his servant, but she is being subservient. And listen, I'm not saying that there's a one-to-one correlation here. Ladies, please don't say, Micah told us that we need to bow down in front. No, 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 no. I'm not saying that. This is a culture and a time where this made sense. And in their culture, this would just be weird. So don't do this. So verse 25 says, Please pay attention or pay no attention, my Lord, to that wicked man, Nabal, he, my husband. He is just like his name, and his name means fool and folly goes with him his mama did not love him he probably had a pretty rough home life growing up you know that it's it's funny and in, in uh, i think the next series we're going to be talking about the power of our words this man grew up with his mama calling him stupid <laughs> every day so i mean what else do you expect but, uh, but anyway, he is like his name. So, so she says, let's just pretend like he doesn't exist for a minute. And in verse 20, uh, 26, it says, And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God lives and you live, since the Lord has kept you from— Listen, this is like a Jedi mind trick, what she's doing here. It's like, these are not the droids that you're looking for. And so she says, Since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed— and from avenging yourself with your own hands, you are not going to do what you're planning on doing right here. And so says, since the Lord has already stopped you from this horrible thing, and she's looking at all these guys that are here, and they've got their weapons, and they're chomping at the bit. And so she says, since God has kept you from doing this horrible thing, she says, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord, may they be like Nabal. And then she gives him credit for being a better man than he actually is. It's so powerful. Look, at verse 28 It says, Please forgive your servant's presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for my Lord. So she speaks to his future. And she says, David, God is up to something great in you. God has a plan for your life. God has a future for you. And here's why. Because you fight the Lord's battles and no wrongdoing will found in you as long as you live. She says, you're not a wrongdoer, you're a good man. Because see, she knows that Saul's trying to find them and kill him. Everybody knows that Saul is looking for David. It's not a secret. And so she says uh, in verse 29, even though somebody is pursuing you to take your life... King Saul, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living by the Lord your God. And so what she does is she takes David back to that moment when he was 15 years old. Remember last week we talked about him facing Goliath? And so look at what she does here with the imagery. But the lives of your enemies he will hurl away as from the, look what she does, pocket of a sling so smart and so now she brings him back and he's back with the sling and the stone and the giant and that moment where he was completely depending up, dependent upon god and he didn't have to take matters into his own hands and now she speaks to his future and essentially in this next section is so powerful and, and maybe for some of us this is the point of the message she asks the question what story do you want to tell David, what story do you want to tell when this is nothing but a story? When you're looking back at this incident and this is nothing but a story that you're going to tell people, what story do you want to tell about this moment? And here's what she says in verse 30. It says, when, when," because it's going to happen, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing that he promised concerning him and has appointed him ruler over Israel. In other words... One day, when you're the king, verse 31, my Lord will not have on his conscience the staggering burden of needless bloodshed or having avenged himself. Wow. So suddenly, David comes to his senses and his emotional temperature, you know, starts to cool down and he begins to see things in a whole new light. And then in verse 30, uh, 35, it says, and David accepted from her hand what she had brought and said, Go home in peace. I have granted your words and I've granted, I have heard your words and granted your request. I'm not going to destroy your husband. I'm not going to destroy your household. And then watch this. Verse 37, in the morning when Nabal was sober, (laughs) his wife told him all these things and his heart failed him and he became like a stone. And about 10 days later, the Lord struck Nabal and he died. Verse 39. And then David sent word asking Abigail to become his wife. It's in the text. It's right there. And so Abigail quickly got on a donkey (laughs) and attended by her five female servants, went with David's messengers, and became his wife. And they lived happily ever after the end (laughs) I made up that last part that's not actually in the Bible but the rest of it is in there it's true it actually happened and so it's there but without through this whole story here's what we have we have three characters and we have three responses but only one hero is actually in this so let's look Nabal what does he do? He returns evil for good because David took care of his stuff and he, and he said, no, I'm not going to help you. And so then David is about to return evil for evil, which makes sense, especially in this day and age in which they lived. But Abigail sees things in a whole nother way and with her lens and her unique perspective. Essentially, she returns good for evil. Now again, Nabal, maniacal, Nobody wants to be like him. A fool. David, predictable. I mean, like, this is just what humans do, right? But then when you read this story, the one thing that you can't miss is that Abigail, she is remarkable. And there is a sense in which she is way, way ahead of her time. You see, during this time in history, the nation of Israel was in a covenant with God that we call the Old Covenant. And in the Old Covenant, to return evil for evil was actually okay. It was an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And when you read the Old Old Testament law, David's response, like we think it's kind of barbaric and a little bit over the top, but it was actually, that was just the world that they lived in. But Abigail was so ahead of her time because the new covenant, the new testament where Jesus showed up, turned everything upside down. See, Jesus made this famous statement that we've, most of us have heard of thousands of times. And we could probably finish the sentence for Jesus. And he said in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 43, says, You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, and then Jesus turns everything a completely upside down. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. But, and where did you hear hate your enemy? Well, essentially, that was the old covenant. That was the world that David lived in. And, but Jesus says, but I have come to turn it all upside down. You do not return evil for evil refusing to respond in like kind if you are a Christian refusing to respond in like kind might be the most Christ-like thing that you can do so in closing I've got three questions for us and, and, these, and two of these are for everybody and one of them is specifically for those of us that are Christians and then we'll wrap this up alright so the first question is this do I really want to be even with somebody that I don't even like No, you don't. (laughs) See, to get even with someone that you don't like is to be, to want to be like somebody that you don't like. It makes no sense. Why would you do, why would you want to be like them? Even is easy. Even is easy. So wouldn't it be better instead of being even to be ahead? And you know how you pull ahead? You pull ahead by refusing to get even. The second question, and this is a big one, what story do you want to tell? And this is the question that we should all ask, and it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. You should ask this question every, at every junction because every event in your life just becomes another part of the story of your life. Every season of life is just becoming a part of your life. It's just the season. It's the story that you're going to tell. Everything becomes part of your story. And so the question is, what story do I want to tell? I mean, even if I'm being mistreated or if I have a knife in my back, what story do I want to tell when this is nothing other than a story that I tell? Do I really want my story to be i got even i became just like the people that i didn't even like see that's predictable people do that all the time but it's so unremark- unremarkable and so this is the third question is uh this is the third question everybody can play but if you are a christian you don't get a whole lot of options on this This is basic for us Christians. This is 101. This is Jesus 101. This is I have decided to follow Jesus, and this is part of the deal. So the third question is, what would it look like for me to return good for evil? When I think about him, when I think about her, when I think about them, when when you think about your ex, or you think about your employer, or you think about your son, or your daughter, your parents, and what they've done, what would it look like in that specific incident or that specific context and that specific relationship, what would it look like to return good for evil? What would it look like for you to be a blessing to someone who has hurt you or offended you? Not just do nothing. I mean, I could just ignore them but to be proactive and to actually do something. See, to do nothing, that's mercy. So here's what you deserve, and I'm not going to give you what you deserve, and that's mercy, and that's good. But to actually do something that they don't deserve, see, that is grace. And if you're a Christian, this is how our story intersects with this story of and the story of salvation. See, this is our best opportunity to be like our Father in Heaven. Again, it's how our story intersects with, and uh, intersects with the greatest story that was ever told. And the greatest story ever told is that God returned good for evil. He gave His Son for our sins, when we deserved it not. That's the gospel. And if you're a Christian, that's your story. And here's the thing, and then I'm done, is that generosity and compassion, you know what? That's kind of American now, isn't it? It's like everybody's generous and everybody, you know, knows that they need to be compassionate. And I think that's a good thing. That's a Christian thing. And, I, and I'm all for generos- generosity and compassion. But in a certain way, that's kind of what's expected. But this, to return good for evil, That's unexpected that is remarkable that takes you from predictable to remarkable and that will set you apart and ultimately for someone that's something that could set or will set you free because until you return good for evil the person that has mistreated you controls you and here's how you know because you're like David on his donkey headed down to that ravine just rehearsing all the stuff that you're going to do and all the stuff that you're going to say am I the only one all the stuff that we're just going to lay and wait and we're going to do and all the ways that we want to get them back and and if we can find somebody that'll listen to our story we'll just keep telling our version of the story or our side of the story And so we listen to people say, oh, you ought to do this, and I would do that, and you should do this. And we just put it on that one-day-I-should-do list in our head. And the only way that we get free sometimes is to proactively do for somebody sometimes exactly what they don't deserve. Just like your Father in heaven. So here's what David would tell us. Here's what Abigail would tell us for sure. Don't settle for even even is easy and don't settle for predictable either don't write a predictable story make it remarkable because at some point this is it's just a story that you're going to tell and so in other words do precisely for others what they don't deserve and when you do that you are like your father in heaven Will you stand with me?